right, welcome once again to Freightonomics. It must be that time again. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. It's daylight time now. It's not, not nighttime. Not that. It's not that. It's not that other time that we're on. No. That standard time that they call it. I don't believe in that. That's a whole other conversation for a whole other time. <laughs> but this is Freightonomics, <laughs> and thank you so much for tuning in. And we got to kick this off right, Zach. Got to kick it off. We got to thank our sponsor, right? Got to thank our sponsor. Of course, thanks to our sponsor, Amazon Freight, who knows you need more than any other truckload service provider. You need a partner who can help you navigate the world of logistics and plan for the future. Amazon Freight is helping shippers move their freight simply and reliably, while backed by the innovation and expertise that's in the DNA of Amazon. Whether you have a few truckloads or to fill or thousands to move, Amazon Freight is your opportunity to put Amazon to work for you. Visit freight.amazon.com to get started. Yes, thank you for that. So we got a big show today. Uh, we got Zach Rogers, Dr. Zach Rogers, I should say, affectionately known as Zach too. Uh, but he's not Zach 2 to me. So it's a, uh, you know, we're, he's here to give us the latest on the LMI, the Logistics Managers Index, uh, and discuss what he sees going on out in the world in supply chains. Uh, but first up, we've got a few stories of the day, or I guess should say of the week. We do have a few stories. Few also, stories. we are streaming now on LinkedIn. So if you're watching live, please jump into the conversation. We have Tony Anderson saying good afternoon all. Thank you, Tony, for tuning in. And also, shout-outs to Crystal for this for this setup right here. Yeah, Crystal, thanks. Appreciate you. <laughs> so let's get into it, because we got a lot to go uh, for the day. Uh, first story of the day, Anthony Smith. Yes. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? This is, a big, this is big news in the transportation world. It's basically like a lead uh, story uh, throughout the space. Canadian National has now thrown its hat in the ring to purchase... Kansas City Southern. Uh -huh. uh, the two class one railroads uh, potentially in a, a deal could potentially merge if approved in a deal worth about thirty three point seven billion dollars. This is a big deal, Anthony. Do you know why? Tell me, because I, I don't know why this is such a big, you know, <laughs> Anthony's like, I'm an economist. What do you what do you want? from No, me? <laughs> I, I had a conversation with uh, Andrew Cox about this yesterday. But no, why is this a big deal? So this is a big deal because, uh, you know, uh, Canadian Pacific, the other railroad in Canada, <laughs> um, uh, has also placed a bid for this. So now it's kind of turned into this like bidding match. And mm -hmm. Canadian Pacific just came back and said, uh, you know, this deal is a farce. It's a fraud. And they, you know, basically said this is not good for the competition. It's going to eliminate a competitor, et cetera, et cetera. So if you know any history on the railroads, they broke them all up because they had a monopoly. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of the reason why it is so heavily regulated is because they don't want to eliminate competition because that what that does is that leads to basically price inflation. Right. Um, especially in publicly traded companies whose main goal is to expand their margin and especially in the railroads. If you haven't seen some of these guys' uh, profit margins, go and look at their income statements. The financials are impeccable. Uh, they're basically making 40% margins <laughs> on every move. So it's it's such an efficient space. There's no real competition in the areas that they're in. So the regulatory entities have to come in and say, okay, is this going to, you know, basically eliminate a competitor from the market that will lead to price inflation or something like that? Mm -hmm. And that's what they're going to have to go through. It's a long, drawn-out process. It's going to take about 12 months. Well, now that Canadian National has come onto the scene, they basically saw 
Pacific come in and, and, you know, they're the two smallest class one railroad providers, Pacific and Kansas City. And they, you know, if they merge, then that could potentially eliminate another lane for, you know, shippers to have a, an option. But what it really does is it connects the entire North American continent from top to bottom. So connect, Canada up top, yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, America in the middle and uh, Mexico down south. And you're looking at a map of, you know, in purple there or pink, whatever you want to call it, the Can- uh, Canadian Nationals rail lines. Canadian Pacific is uh, a little bit further south and they flow a little bit more east to west, whereas Canadian Nationals a little bit more north-south built. Uh, and Rue, this really impacts uh, the most is the automotive sector. Automotive mm-hmm. sector moves a ton of goods across the, the Canadian and Mexican borders down there. Can, uh, Kansas City Southern goes all the way into Mexico City and, and back north. Um, and it's, you know, essentially tons of goods could now be connected through this thoroughfare. And Canadian Pacific's argument is that you see that little stretch over there next to New Orleans to Chicago? Right. They say that Kansas City really, you know, that's one of the only competitors in that lane. That's not accurate. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's not entirely accurate. You've got, uh, we don't have CSX and BNSF and UP on there. The other big class one uh, railroad providers, uh, they all kind of connect, you know, north to south in that area. But it's true. These are two of the only ones that do go into New Orleans, uh, you know, effectively. So uh, big news there because that could potentially link the entire North American continent and provide shippers without like, you know, this Passover, uh, especially in the automotive side, connecting Kansas City and Detroit is also a huge deal. Um, so instead of having to hop off of one rail and get onto the next, they can just get all on one rail line and go uh, between the, the uh, North American continent. What do you think? So, okay. I, this, this definitely seems like a big deal for those that are within the space. Express, but, but it sounds like, for me, that this seems like the rail environment is essentially like a vacuum. I don't know, in my mind, like everything operates within a vacuum. What does this mean for it moving on trucks? So, you know, instead of something getting on a a truck and moving all the way from north to south, Mm -hmm. which it can do technically, uh, it's not likely to happen that way uh, (laughs) because of the difficulties of crossing the border. They still a lot of times have to cross the customs and all this kind of stuff. Now it's going to be, in theory, a lot smoother to put freight going from Canada to Mexico and vice versa on the rail. It's actually going to make it. It's actually not. No, it's it's an added level of competition to trucking, uh, long haul trucking, I should say, Uh, because there's all sorts of, you know, you have to have carrier interchange agreements to get through Mexico to North America, to United States, to Canada. (laughs) Um, So there's all sorts of little bottlenecks along that path, uh, path north and south, where still most of the freight is coming into North America or United, the United States. Uh, But it is a direct, you know, it's kind of like an added benefit of rail versus truck. So it should put increasing pressure on the truckload market. Okay, so increasing pressure on the truckload market, a little bit more competition within the rail game. It looks like it's going to be a lot more efficient and make things a lot more easier. You know, if you're you're a shipper, this is a win. I mean, they've already come on board and said, hey, this is absolutely fine with us. Mm -hmm. And, And again, that's kind of contradictory to uh, Canadian Pacific's argument that it dec- decreases, uh, you know, competition. The shippers are just really wanting a clear path from north right. to south. 
right. because really uh, a lot of the competition is derived from other modes of surface transportation, not inter-railway competition. And when you have it moving <clears throat> from different modes, a lot more chances for slowdowns, those delays or whatever, and then damage on the product as well. Exactly, exactly. Gotcha. This is, this is, I mean, Canadian Pacific has to say these things. Obviously, they have a lot to lose here. This was their idea. <laughs> you know, Canadian right. National kind of came on board and said, you know, we're going to do this too. But it's fun to me to see, uh, you know, this kind of drama in the rail space because it's really kind of been vanilla for a really long time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I it's like, like it. TMZ for freight. I like it. I, I mean, like one of the things I was like, I want to talk to Mike about this so, so he can make me care about this. Yeah. But, okay. A little more competition. I like it. A little more competition. So uh, next up, next story of the day. And this is kind of like, you know, we've been talking about this aspect of freight, uh, it, you know, what's happening, uh, you know, in terms of inflation. Well, finally, a lot of these CPG providers, uh, Procter & Gamble's the latest to come out and say they're going to start charging more for household staples from diapers to tampons, the latest and biggest consumer products company to announce price increases, according to the Wall Street Journal. Um, Kimberly Clark came out. Uh, and already said this, you know, they produce a lot of toilet paper. <laughs> uh, Procter & Gamble produces things like razors, Tide, you know, you know, tons of stuff like that. that you, right. you name it, you know, the Unilevers, all these all these companies, uh, you know, coming out. They're going to have to pass along these costs at some point. We've talked about this in transportation. Uh, they do cite transportation costs and raw materials as being two of the big input increases. So, I mean, economically speaking, Anthony Smith, this is, <laughs> we've, are, we've seen this coming for miles away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a few things. Like it was first, for sure, upstream because we've mm -hmm. seen manufacturing prices really increase for those manufacturers. And during times of recession, we were talking about this earlier on in the pandemic. During times of recession, you know, a lot of these producers take on these costs because they don't want to lose market share. They don't want to pass those costs on to consumers that aren't in position to accept those increased costs. Now, we see that they, they can only take it for so long. Now, we're kind of starting to see our way out of this pandemic. We're seeing employment numbers uh, increase, or I don't know how you would put it because there's like increasing jobs claims is a bad thing. Right. Improve, I should say. But we're seeing employment improve. We're seeing jobs come back. We're seeing consumers being a lot more steady footing. We can expect with that, that there's going to be more prices pushed down to those consumers that can now accept these increased prices in a much more stable way. What do you know? It, it, the increased cost of uh, producing things leads to increased cost of purchasing things. It's, it's a vicious cycle. We kind of have been talking about this on and off for the last, I don't know, I think, you know, Dr. Zach Rogers uh, was on here one of the first times we really were like, hey, is this going to be a thing? Yeah. Um, and I think we were all kind of like, yeah, eventually it probably will be just not today well it sounds like that's about that's today starting might to be here yeah and, and the it, other thing is we have those increased pricing because we're we're americans we consume everything and these aggressive covid vaccine efforts have really kind of pushed us forward and reopening a lot more regions a lot more consumptions um, the rest of the world isn't quite at this pace and so we're consuming at a record clip faster than a lot of our, you know, partners can produce this stuff. And that's going to lead to more increased pricing as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think we could talk about this uh, f forever. But, you know, we do have somebody waiting on us. Who? Dr. Zach Rogers, the one and only. Never heard of him. Yep. He's, he's, he's here with us today. And, uh, you know, we, I, I can't remember when we brought this up, uh, Zach, but 
we, we, I know that I specifically asked you and Anthony one day, I think I was sitting in my, my bonus room uh, on a Freightonomics show, and I was like, when does the stimulus start to materialize itself in the form of inflation? And I think both of you said something similar to the fact that it's just not happening at the pace that you would expect, but eventually this is coming due. You, you think we're getting there a little too fast, or you think we're right on schedule? I mean, we just put $2 trillion into the economy. So it would be weird if there wasn't a little bit of inflation, uh, <laughs> I think. Um, so, no, I, I don't think it's weird at all. I think it actually makes a lot of sense. Um, if you look at, I mean, if you put it, stimulus in and didn't have any inflation, that would actually indicate that the stimulus didn't work. <laughs> and so in many ways, this is good. And, and, and what Anthony said is absolutely spot on. The uh, American recovery is happening at a much quicker pace um, than, say, Europe or South America or any of the other sort of parts of the world. We're really moving faster. And so not only are we coming back to where we were in terms of consumption, but as a percentage of global consumption, we're higher. It's one of the reasons why everything is so jammed to get in here, uh, you know, at ports and things like that, because traffic is slow everywhere else. The, the, the only store that's, it, it's like, you know, when you're in college and there's the one Denny's down the street and that's the only place that's open. And even though you and your friends don't love Denny's that much, it's like, well, there's a thousand people here because it's 2 a.m. and we're all hungry. That's America right now. America is the Denny's at 2 a.m. It's the only thing that's open and everything is flowing in really quickly. Yeah. You know what Denny's should do? What? Jack it up those prices a little bit. Yeah, they probably will eventually. So, <laughs> So, you know, we talked a little bit last week, uh, Zach, about the memes. We've been generating memes. And if you notice this week, I skipped that part because, you know, we you wanted to jump in on this meme game that we've got going on here. I love memes. I would, Everybody loves memes. Yeah. Can you? So I think we're ready. Uh, you know, you apparently you have your own set of memes. Well, I mean, I was offended that you guys did the Suez Canal without me, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no. And now I, I think it's a bold new move for a podcast to have a segment about memes. I think that's fun for an audio medium. But, yeah, let's let's get into it. <laughs> well, we're not just audio. I got, I've been ridiculed for being calling it just a straight podcast because we are on, uh, you know, we are visual as well. So right. go ahead. It's, talk it's about your meme. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So uh, this is and and, and uh, there's a version of this where he's moving around, too. So this sort of John Travolta looking around meme is very indicative of what we saw uh, in the LMI uh, for the March report. Uh, you know, he's in the if you're familiar with the meme, he's kind of looking around for, you know, Uma Thurman or whoever, I think, in the movie. But fiction, but yeah. this is the this is the reality. Uh, this is the reality that a lot of companies are facing when they're trying to find uh, trucking options. You know, uh, if you look at our um, our our transportation capacity metrics, and and just again to remind everybody, any number below fifty means contraction. Any number above fifty means means expansion. If you look at our transportation capacity for last month, it was a thirty point four, uh, which is down uh, about eight points from from the month before, and it marks. A solid now uh, eight months in a row that we've had contraction um, with with the trucking market. That's insane. And so, you know, in terms of uh, of rigs that are available, it's been going down steadily, steadily um, uh, since last July, and now we're down at a thirty, which is pretty close to the nadir. I'm uh, pretty close to the bottom. It, 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 the, the the fastest rate of contraction we've ever had. 
I think the only time we we saw anything worse than this was maybe uh, August and September um, of last year. And and this is absolutely reflected if you look at tender rejection rates on freight waves or <laughs> or anything like that. We just don't have enough capacity. And and I think it's so interesting. Um, you know, Anthony and I and, and I were talking about this uh, the other day. We have record orders. We have record orders for all of these uh, Class A trucks coming in right now. And I think that might even be part of the, the next meme. We have record orders for all these these Class A trucks coming on, and we can't get any of them built, right? It's it's like the you know the boyfriend with the, the girlfriend uh, <laughs> meme. We have record Class A truck orders, and we can't get semiconductor manufacturers to pay attention to it. They're making the new Xbox. They're making phones. They're doing every you know light up fish tanks. They're doing everything else on the planet other than than these trucks. And I think it's so interesting because. Part of the reason for this slowdown, for this bottleneck, is a lack of logistics capacity to get these semiconductors made. But the fact that we can't get these semiconductors made leads into that lack of logistics capacity. And so it's turning into this sort of feedback loop where because we don't have enough semiconductors, we can't get enough logistics capacity. But because we don't have enough capacity, we can't get enough semiconductors made. And, you know, there's all this talk of, well, we're going to move some semiconductor manufacturing back to the U.S. And, and that can happen. But that's such a long term play. And, and for this moment, I don't know how we dig ourselves out of this hole um, uh, in terms of getting capacity online and getting trucks on the road. You know, we kind of dragged our feet at the beginning of the pandemic in terms of fleet orders because we weren't sure if it was just going to be a bubble. Oh, people are ordering more, you know, uh, online last mile delivery stuff now because they have to stay at home, but it'll go back in the box later. It hasn't gone back in the box. And so what we're seeing is a situation where we went forward, you know, three years in, in demand in terms of how many trucks we want in nine months. And, and you got to remember supply chains are JIT. It's so it, like, you know, there's not 25% flex capacity in, in a trucking fleet, probably. There's maybe 10% flex capacity in a trucking fleet because you don't want trucks just sitting there empty. But now we say, well, actually, demand went up by 50% over the last 12 months. <laughs> so how on earth do you, do you catch up with that? And that's what we're seeing right now. And so, you know, it took us a year to, to fall behind, really. Um, you know, and, and, and we're about 50% down from what we need to be at. I think it's going to be one, maybe two years going forward uh, to, to totally catch up and get capacity where it needs to be. And in the meantime, all those other things that you use semiconductors for, like Anthony, I wouldn't be holding your breath for, for the PlayStation 5 for your birthday this year. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think, you know, the, the demands that are on the semiconductors right now are really going to, I don't know, I, I don't think they're going away for the next year. So you're telling <laughs> me that I should care about this because I won't get my PS5. I think it's pretty clear. That's messed up. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I, well, I think this is a big thing because we were talking about upstream effects mm -hmm. early on throughout this pandemic. We've talked to Dr. Zach Rogers. We looked at the LMI. We looked at the PMI. We see how many shortages there were across the board. And it really meant nothing, right? It meant nothing because it was upstream. These were these manufacturers, their problems. Now, I care mm -hmm. because it's now starting to affect <laughs> me as a consumer. I can't get the new cell phone. I can't get the new, uh, uh, I don't 
have an iPhone. I don't know. <laughs> but um, I can't get the new PS5 or the new Xbox. And I think that's where it's really going to start to make an impact, especially now is not just with trucks, but with cars as well. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about this with Peloton. I mean, if you're if you're a manufacturer of some sort and you're, you can't get the goods down downstream to your retailers, the people that sell the stuff, uh, consumers will just move on. Uh, and you're missing sales potential, especially as the pandemic eases. You know, I don't think the PS5 is going to suffer any kind of real hit from people going back outside again. Uh, you know, and, and seeing that 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 long term demand is probably going to stick, stay relatively sticky. But there's a lot of products out there that if they don't get that those goods to the shelf, uh, they're probably going to miss out on some pretty decent revenue, especially in the near term. Uh, so, you know, Zach, do we? Do we think that this is going to have like a start off or kick off some sort of cycle of like almost cannibalism of, you know, goods like where orders aren't being fulfilled, they start getting canceled and, you know, companies start to kind of yeah. run out of reason to make purchases and order stuff? Does it kind of like have this backlash effect downstream, do you think? Absolutely. Well, I mean, if you look at uh, internationally, there's so many containers going back empty across the ocean right now. Uh, and it's because of how long the delays are. If you look at the value and the margins you get on on your average container going from China to the U.S. versus U.S. back to China, it's a lot uh, a lot higher margins going going to the U.S. Than, than to go back. And so we're having all of these deadhead loads, not only in in ships but but trucks as well, because it, it, you just got to get back right. There's there's money in in the head haul maybe if you think about going across the ocean. Uh, and, and if you think about the normal sort of voyage they take, right? We go from Beijing, maybe to LA, drop a bunch of stuff off, go to Oakland, load back up, uh, maybe with something lower margin like scrap metal or agricultural commodities, you know, the things that come out of the US, and then you go back. Well, if I'm delayed for five days in Oakland anyway, on top of the week it would take to load and drive up, that's half the time you know, in, in that 12 or 13 days, I could be almost all the way back to China. I could be two thirds, three quarters of the way back. And so we see people just going back instead. And so what does that do on the supply side? Well, if I can't get my stuff on a truck, I'll just delay. Maybe I'll delay shipments. Maybe I'll decrease uh, production. And so we're going to increasingly see, I think, because there's some parts of the economy that are so hot and because capacity is so tight, Shippers are having to decide, okay, who am I going to service? And so the the, the groups that aren't getting serviced, like in, in the case of international shipping, the, the agricultural scrap stuff coming back out of the U.S., uh, why do you even produce anything? Uh, you know, you're getting all dressed up with nowhere to go. And so I absolutely think you're right. There is going to be this sort of cannibalistic effect and almost like a, like a survival of the fittest effect where uh, the strong are going to get stronger and, and the weak are going to have problems. Dr. Zach Rogers, great points. Also, you produce this thing once a month called the LMI. Yeah. Can you tell right. us a little bit of the latest updates for that for that index? Yeah, sure. So, um, so if you look at the overall uh, LMI score uh, for 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 March, uh, we came in at a seventy-two point two. Remember, anything above fifty indicates growth, and the further above fifty it is, uh, the the larger those rates of growth are. And so at a 72.2, I think that's our third highest uh, rate of growth um, for uh, the, the five-year history of this index. And it's really fueled by tightness in capacity, as well as, as, as high uh, price increases. 
And in this picture you're you're showing right here. So we don't just ask our our respondents, hey, what's going on right now? We ask them, what do you think is going to happen over the next 12 months? And so in this picture here, uh, you can see what our respondents said. Okay, where where are all these metrics going over the next year? And I think it's so interesting, and it, and it goes with a lot of what we we're talking about. Transportation capacity is the only metric on here that's negative, right? It's at forty nine point six. So really, that's that's more or less breaking even because fifty kind of means no movement. So it's just a shade under under no movement. And essentially, what this says is, despite record truck orders, anything that we do have come online, any additional supply that we do have come online over the next. Uh, 12 months is not going to be enough to meet the increases in demand and just the high demand that's already there over the next 12 months. Warehouses are in a pretty similar spot. They're okay. We're gonna have a little bit of growth there. Warehouses are less constrained by say semiconductors. That's more of a constraint of space and capital investment. Um, and that's growing at a 54. Now in a normal times, Right, moderate growth for warehouses that wouldn't be too bad. Uh, you know, rate of fifty-eight, sixty—that's about what we would see on average anyway. So fifty-four is not terrible. But given that we're already inside um, uh, a situation where where demand is uh, uh, much higher than supply, you can see what the impacts are going to be on prices. So warehouse price eighty-five, transportation price eighty-two, inventory costs eighty-six. Essentially, what we're seeing is that we're not going to be able to bring capacity on quick enough to, to meet demand. Now, if you are a, uh, a carrier, freight forward, or any of that kind of stuff, right? If, if you're someone in the transportation business, this is pretty good, right? You've, you've never been, I don't know when the last time was that we've had this sort of long stretch um, uh, of this high of demand with no real relief in sight, right? We're sort of, their hands are sort of tied on bringing on new fleets, but demand keeps going up. And so that's pretty good for price. Now, on the consumer side, that's where you can see some issues. And you have to imagine that some of this, I mean, there's only two options here, right? We're going to bake the transportation prices into consumer price, or we're going to take some kind of hit. I think, you know, what happens there, which, which option firms choose is going to totally depend on industry, because there's some industries where you can't bake it in. Um, but I think it'll be really interesting to see over the next 12 months. If that stays correct, if, if we really are unable to bring on uh, the, the fleet capacity that we need to, to see a relief in prices, uh, or if, um, you know, it'll go another direction. But generally, the future predictions in, in the index, uh, you know, we're harnessing the power of the crowd, and our respondents are, are usually pretty good about predicting this kind of thing. So, Zach, you just mentioned, you, of course, went over those future predictions. Can you talk a little bit more to what's going on right now with current transportation prices and what you're seeing on your end sure. from your respondents? Absolutely. Well, like I mentioned, transportation capacity was at a 30. Transportation prices uh, hit the 90s last month. And it's the first time transportation prices have been in the 90s um, since I think maybe mid, like early, early 2018, maybe is the first time. Um, and, uh, and so they've sort of been on this high streak where it's either been in the mid eighties or high eighties and now into the nineties, pretty much going back to, uh, to July and August of last year. So it's interesting, Anthony, uh, you know, I remember Zach asking us on an episode last summer, maybe in the fall, I think it was like, yeah, like, like kind of late summer, early fall, how long is it going to stay hot like this? And basically Zach, what you were asking was after Q4 happens, are we going to see uh, some relief, uh, a break? 
And I think our kind of thought was, well, there's going to be a ton of online ordering for like, you know, holiday season stuff because people can't go to stores. But then once the holiday season is over, everything's going to slow back down again. And we thought maybe the virus was going to come back really strong in the winter and, and that we we're going to see volumes uh, depressed. And actually what we're seeing is that there was a lot of pent up demand. The stimulus hit early in the year and everything kind of kept going. Uh, yeah, you can see from from the sonar graph here, there's been no relief at all. You know, if you look at where 2021 starts, we thought, oh, maybe maybe transportation prices will slow down a little bit. No, not at all. Transportation prices have actually only increased uh, going into the new year. And we haven't seen, and Anthony, I think you even predicted it, we haven't seen any relief at all. Uh, there hasn't been any decrease in demand. And it's driven up both transportation and warehousing prices. Warehousing prices actually uh, were record high this month. Uh, they hit an 81.5, which is the highest level of growth that we've seen in the five years we've been doing this. So I think obviously the uh, we're running up on the last few seconds of the show, but I, I think we're not seeing any end in sight, at least for this time, <laughs> time period uh, on capacity yep. and prices. But tell everybody where they can get a hold of you and find out more about what you do at the LMI real quick. Sure. So the LMI is is online at thethe-lmi.com. Uh, you can see all the world reports. You can also send me a note, zsrogers at tallostate.edu. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Zach. And thank you all for watching. Uh, stay tuned next week for the uh, Freightonomics at 2 p.m. on Wednesday. <laughs>